Well, good morning. Welcome to Salem Chapel. If you're in this room, if you're watching us online, if you're new with us, let me introduce myself. My name's Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. We're so glad that you're here today. And uh, so I'm going to get right into it. We're in our fourth week of this series entitled Why Church? Uh, We've been walking through that, uh, walking through God's word, really asking ourselves, why is what we do, what we have done, just in these last moments, why do we uh, participate in what we do every week, either 9 or 11 a.m., like why is church important? Why should it be important? And, and really re- why we're dealing with this topical series and why we're addressing that question is, let's face it, um, as we begin to enter into whatever quote-unquote normal is, there are a lot of things that we are evaluating and saying, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay, we need to begin this, this new thing in our lives. And, and that's really one of the advantages, isn't it, of, of being able to, and we need to look for those advantages. It's so easy to say what we lost, but rather really, um, we, I mean, we've done that in our church. Uh, our family has done it and saying, okay, as we move forward into um, this new phase, what does it look like for us to really say, okay, we don't want to do that anymore? Don't want to do that anymore. Nothing maybe necessarily wrong with what we did, but we just don't want to do that anymore. Uh, Maybe there are things where like, hey, I did that and it was wrong and I don't want to do that anymore. And those are good things as well. And so you're probably doing that. You're evaluating everything. Like, do we want to eat there anymore? Do we want to go there anymore? Do I want to still go to that school? Do I, whatever it is. And because we're doing that with everything, it's not lost to me that maybe even some of us are saying, like, do I want to, like, do I want to, like, gather together in person at the, at the church that I'm at? Or maybe I've moved here and I'm fairly new here. And do I want to take the, take just the, you know, the mental fortitude to look for a place to call my home and to gather and to invest in and those things like that? And so, We have answers to those questions, but the reason why we're going through this series, and we're going to look at it again today, this reality, is I want you, and more importantly, God wants you, and the decisions that you make in regards to church, to not make them on what I say, or what uh, your upbringing was, or what your experiences may have been, but really that we answer that question, why church? Like, why do we do this? And we say to ourselves, well, what does God's word have to say about it? And based on what God's word has to say about it, then I will decide what the answer to that question is. And so that's really what we've been doing for the last three weeks. It's what we'll do again today. Uh, We have a reading plan on our website. You can go to SalemChapel.org. You can download that reading plan. It, It has passages of scripture, some that we've looked to, some that we didn't have time to, that deal with answering that question, why church? And so I want to give you the definition of church. I've been giving this every week, but I want to do it again. If you haven't written it down, I encourage you to write it down. Um, If you don't want to write it down, then we got something for you too. I'll also mention here in a second. Here's the definition of church that we've been saying. Church is a people redeemed by God through Jesus Christ. So people that have been saved by God through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection for their sins. 
whose mission is to love God and love one another as they make and mobilize disciples who represent the gospel to every man, woman, and child. Now, I've said this before. I know if you're English majors in here, you don't like run-on sentences, but we wanted to be thorough this morning, so we got a run-on sentence for our definition. And I'm not going to take time to unpack that definition word by word. We've done that in weeks past. If you weren't here, you can watch every one of those on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook channel, on our website, like we have you all covered. But if you came in the doors this morning and you were paying attention, we have these magnets that, that uh, we have available for you. They're free. You don't need to pay anything for them. And uh, if you didn't grab one, you can grab one on your way out. They're on the table where the communion was. They're at the Welcome Center. I encourage you to grab one of these and to put it on your refrigerator. Because if you're like me, the refrigerator is at least in the top three places you visit more than any other place in your house. Now, here's what I know. Some of you, I'm asking you to put this on your fridge, and you're those people that you don't put anything on your fridge. Like you got the spray, you got the stainless steel thing, you got the spray, like fingerprints. You don't put fingerprints on your fridge. So the idea of me telling you to put something like this on your fridge just automatically is starting to get you to break out in a cold sweat. I get that. I don't like stuff on my fridge either. But this is one thing I'm putting on my fridge. Now some of you, your fridge is like, a, is, is like an Etsy wonderland. Like you got three, four inches deep of a collage on your fridge. So for you, it's a matter of what are you gonna put at the top of all that stuff that's on your fridge. But here's why I want you to do that. Because every time you go to that, or maybe it's something else. Now these aren't strong enough to put on your car, so please don't litter Winston-Salem with, uh, because we got our name on it as well. Um, But on your fridge or on something else metal that, that you can see this all the time, because here's what I want you to do. I want you to be reminded that you're a part of the church if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That you're not a part of the church because you went through some membership class or because you give to the church or because you're in a small group in the church or because you serve in the church and all those things are amazing, don't get me wrong, but I'm a part of Jesus' church because my faith, my trust is in what Jesus has accomplished for me through his life, death, and resurrection for my sin. That's why I'm a part of the church. And so I just think it's awesome that when your kids go to the fridge and they're like, hey, it, like the kids know what you, how much you value not putting something on your fridge. So if you put this on your fridge, they're going to pay attention to it. If that's you, you're like, hey, kids, that's our definition of church. What does it mean? Discipleship moment. Okay, so that's available for you. That's my commercial. Um, I hope that you grab one. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. That's where we're going to be this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. Now let me just remind ourselves where we've been in answering this question, why church? First week we looked at who started the church in Matthew 16. We looked at Jesus started the church. So if Jesus started the church, then we automatically assume, and rightly so, that Jesus isn't going to start something that he doesn't believe is important and should be vital. So we looked at who started the church. Then the next week we looked at the mission and the purpose of the church We looked at Matthew 28. The purpose of the church is to make and mobilize disciples into all the world. Our mission statement here at Salem Chapel, to put it simply, is to make and mobilize disciples of Jesus in Winston-Salem and around the world. That is the mission and purpose of the church. And if I'm a part of the church, then that is also my mission. Last week we looked at, well, 
if Jesus started a church and the church has a mission, well then how do we interact with one another who are a part of the church in this local church, specifically Salem Chapel, because there's no way we can interact the way that God wants us to with people who aren't a part of the church if we're not also knowing how to interact rightly with one another in the church. Last week we looked at Romans 12. This morning, here's the title of the message. We're gonna talk about the conviction of the church. That the church needs to be a conviction in my life. Not just that I am part of it, but I'm also making it a priority to be collectively a part of it as well. See, here's the idea that I want you to get today from this passage of scripture that we're gonna unpack in verses 19 through 24 of Hebrews 10. It's this, that gathering together as the church is to be a conviction, not a habit in your relationship with Jesus. Like that's what I want you to understand as we look at God's word. And this isn't an idea that, that, that's coming from me, though it's worded in my words. We're gonna see this come straight out of scripture. Remember, we're answering why church from the Bible, not someone's opinion or preference. But that gathering together like what we're doing right now is to be a conviction, is to be something that you hold in high esteem. That's the word conviction. I was driving along, I don't think Lucas would mind, my son's 13 years old, I was driving to church today, he was getting a little preview of what we're gonna talk about today. So PK Perk, PK means pastor kid if you didn't know. And so I was telling Lucas, this is what we're going to talk about. I was like, do you know what conviction means? He's like, no, not really. So I explained to him what conviction. It's something that you value in high esteem. It's like something that you don't want to let go of. It's something that you make a priority. The gathering together with the church, because you are the church, is to be a conviction, not a habit, in your relationship with Jesus and what I want to do as we read through this passage of Scripture and just take time to walk through it is I think the conviction to gather together as a church is grounded in three things from this passage of Scripture. Now, we can say it's grounded in other things, but we're dealing specifically with this passage of Scripture. So here's what I want to do. We're doing a topical series, which means we're jumping to different passages of Scripture every week, so it's important that we set the context of what we're looking at. Because remember, the very first word in verse 19 is therefore. Now you may have already known this, and if you didn't, you've heard me say this many times before. If you're reading, and you start in a verse that starts with therefore, then you need to read above it because a conclusion is being drawn. So if you don't know what was stated above, then you aren't gonna really jive with the conclusion that you're just reading. So here we have one of those situations. So let me explain Hebrews just a little bit. I wanna take anything for granted. Hebrews is written to Jews. That's why it's called Hebrews. Did you need to know that? If you, did, if you did, that's okay. That's why it's written that way. Now we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews because like other epistles, you'll have the author clearly state that they were the author or you have the gospels and Matthew wrote Matthew and Mark wrote Mark and so on and so forth, right? But in this situation, we don't know who wrote it. But whoever wrote it is writing to a group of Jewish people that were very familiar with, with the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, like the way that they worshiped the Lord before Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. 
And so he's writing to this group of people, and here's what he's driving home, this reality, very simply, he's driving home this reality that Jesus is better than the way that you worshiped him before. Like if the Hebrews were like, well, well, what about this? Jesus is better. Well, what about me going through this ceremonial thing? Jesus is better. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is better than that. That was just a point to what Jesus already did. That's the whole point of Hebrews. Like if someone was to ask you, you walk out of here and say, hey, what's the book of Hebrews about? You can just say, Jesus is better. And you will have it. And so when we come to Verse 19 that says, therefore, here's what the writer of Hebrews is making a case about. Jesus is better, he's sufficient for your salvation, for your acceptance by a holy God, for you to have unlimited access and relationship with him. He is better than what you did before. That's the whole point. Now, let's go to verse 19. Writer of Hebrews says this, therefore, brothers, since... You need to underline, circle that word. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since, you need to circle that again, that's a significant word in this passage. We have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, if you don't understand what I just said about the context of Hebrews, you're going to read that and be like, what in the world is he talking about? I may have given you the context in a very brief way, and you're still like, what in the world is he talking about? Well, he's referring to the sacrificial system that you see in the Old Testament that's spelled out in the book of Leviticus. And so what would happen is, is once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the tabernacle, into this place called the Holy of Holies, or into the temple when the temple was later built, into this Holy of Holies, this chamber that held the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God with his people. And only the high priest could go into that room one day a year. That's why it's called Holy of Holies. And when he would go into that room, he had to have something with him. He had to have the blood of a spotless lamb. And that high priest would go in there very carefully, and he would take that blood, and he would sprinkle it on the top of that Ark of the Covenant called the Mercy Seat, symbolizing that this blood from this spotless lamb was sufficient to cover the sins of the nation of Israel, so that God would cover their sins, That's what would happen one day a year, not two, not three, not a day and a half, one day a year. And the high priest, if he didn't go in with that blood of the spotless lamb, and he didn't do everything exactly right in the order that it was given, he would die. This is a serious thing. So if you come to church, you're like, what should I wear? Do my shoes match? Honey, does this look good? To which, guys, you always reply, yes. Or maybe your husband asked you that, wife, I don't know. Like, like, we have anxiety about that, right? Well, the high priest, like, if he didn't get it exactly done, exactly the way the Lord spelled out, his life would be gone. Now, why would God do that? Because he's a tyrant? No, he was driving home the reality that he's a perfect God, he's a holy God. He demands perfection. 
And he was even reminding the high priest that you're not perfect. You can't gain access to me without a substitute given. Now, that's what these Hebrew people would be familiar with. So when he mentions that, what is he driving home? He's driving home this reality. My entrance, your entrance, their entrance into God's presence to have a relationship with him, to commune with him, to fellowship with him, to spend time with him. The reason why I can have confidence that I can do that today, tomorrow, tonight, the next night, the reason why I can do that is because of what it says here that he opened for us, that's Jesus, through the curtain, that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else, that curtain that was torn from top to bottom, as mentioned in the Gospels, when Jesus says it is finished, that that curtain that was torn was torn because Jesus poured out his blood for you and me. He was the perfect lamb of God. That's why it says, I can draw near with full assurance. See, here's the first thing that the conviction to gather together as a church is grounded in. Number one, my, your steadfast confidence that God welcomes and desires you to commune with him. He welcomes it. He desires it. And let me be clear, not just not just on a Sunday morning. It's not like, oh yeah, like I went to the 9 a.m. service, I went to the 11 a.m. service, see you next week. Peace out, God, see you next week. No, no, no. But every day I have this welcome, a, a, a desire by God to want to commune with me. And I can have the confidence and the assurance that God welcomes and desires me to do so with him. And the only reason that's possible is because I've placed my trust in what Jesus has accomplished for me. And when I do that, I am now called part of the family of God. When's the last time we thought when we gathered in this place and you're walking in these doors and you're pulling into the parking lot and you're like, man, God... God welcomes me and desires me. Like we try to be, I try to be as friendly as possible in the lobby with as many people as I can possibly be with. And our greeters try to do that and our people try to do that. And if you're, you didn't experience that, I'm so sorry. Please let us know that because I want to know that. But, but nevertheless, we try to do that as best as possible. And a lot of times when you're walking into a place, you're like, who's going to say hello? Who's going to make me feel comfortable? Who's going to tell me where the bathrooms are? Who's going to tell me where I'm supposed to sit, especially when you walk into a new place? But have we ever thought, you know who welcomes and desires you to be here the most? The Lord. The Lord. Hebrews 4.16 says it like this. Let us then with, uses that same word, confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's what that term draw near means. It literally has the idea of keep on doing this. So it's not like, oh yeah, yeah, like eight weeks ago, yeah, I did that church thing. Yeah, yeah, like eight weeks ago, yeah, I remember spending time with the Lord on my own, and I remember doing that, and yeah, yeah, yeah like, like God, I know I'll get around to it, I, I know I'll make that a priority at some point, but, but I'm really busy, that's not the idea, it's this idea of you need to keep on drawing near, 
And that word near literally means right next to. So to put it in our context and what we've lived through and are still living through, listen to me, get this. God doesn't want you to social distance from him. Isn't that awesome? God's never gonna be like, six feet? Never gonna say that. He wants you to be smack dab next to him, giving him a figurative bear hug, saying, Lord, I can't live without embracing you, communing with you, desiring to be with you, because I'm blown away that you welcome and desire me. You want me to have relationship with you. And sadly, if we haven't been intentional with it and been been really careful with it. We've not only social distanced from so many things during this last year and a half, but we've also found ourselves social distancing from the Lord. And maybe you're here today for the first time or you're watching online again and what the Lord is already saying to you through his word is don't social distance from me. Man, I welcome and desire you to commune with me. Here's the second thing, it's found in verse 23. Look at it. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. That word hold fast, same idea. Keep holding. Not a one-time deal, keep doing it. Keep drawing near, keep holding fast. Here's the second thing that our conviction to gather as the church is grounded and it's grounded in an increasing Hope that God has, is, and will be faithful to you. I chose those words carefully because the reality is, is in our walk with the Lord, we can have a hope that sometime is wavering. Like if I'm gonna be transparent with you, every single time in my life, I'm not saying, man, my hope is rock solid right now in my relationship with the Lord. Not in that I'm not a child of his, but right now I'm finding myself drifting to want to place my hope in different things. There's times like that. So I don't want to set up some idea that if you're struggling like that, that somehow you're not human. The reality is we all struggle with that. But as I'm growing in my relationship with the Lord, what begins to happen? I have an increasing hope that the Lord has. I can point to times where he has. Where the Lord is, I'm being intentional and looking for how God is faithful in the present, and I have an assurance that God will continue to be faithful in the future. That's the writer of Hebrews' point here, and that word hold fast literally means this. It literally means this, a firm hold that masters what is held. So literally, it has the idea of you keep Pinning your hope down. Like there's times where it, wants to, where it wants to run to something else. No, no, no. Keep it pinned down. Anybody wrestle in this room? Anybody? All right, a few of you. A few of you wrestled. Man, I'm so glad we got some females who have wrestled. That's impressive. Now, I never wrestled competitively. Like, I remember wrestling in the college dorm hallways. Like, the college I went to, the wrestling program was, like, elite. And these guys were freaks of nature. 
Like they thought a little bit different than everybody else. They definitely looked different than most everybody else. But man, I remember being like, hey, I'm bigger than this guy. Like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty in shape. Yeah, I can take this guy. And I wrestled, dude, in 30 minutes, I was, I was spent. 30 seconds. What did I say, 30 minutes? 30 seconds. <laughs> definitely not 30 minutes. No, honestly, what kept me from wrestling or even desiring to do too was the outfit, man. Like, that wasn't, that wasn't my thing. Like, like, God bless you if it was. You have more confidence in yourself than I did, I guess. But, <laughs> but when I would watch these guys wrestle, I mean, for six minutes, they're grappling with the other person. And, and you think that they almost have them pinned down and then they pop up or they turn over and they keep wrestling. That's the idea. Like so often our hope wants to jump up when we think, man, I got it pinned down. It's like one, two, just about to be three, and boom, it wants to pop up. It wants to drift to something else. It wants to slide off the table, so to speak, to something else. And so that's the idea of keep on keeping your hope pinned down, obviously through the strength of the Holy Spirit, but how do I do that? I have to remind myself, no, 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 God has, he is, he will be faithful to me. And the ultimate example of that is what Jesus has accomplished for me through his life, death, and resurrection. But here's the reality so often, is if I'm not making sure to be intentional and in reminding myself of God's faithfulness, I oftentimes will want to drift to misplacing my hope. I wrote this down, it is impossible, and I chose that word purposefully, it is impossible to hold fast to Jesus and loosely hold to the importance and priority of gathering together consistently as the church. It's impossible. I've been doing this gig for a while. In 21 years in ministry, by the grace of God. And I know others who have been doing a lot longer than me. And you know what I've never had a conversation about or I've never seen personally? I've never seen someone who I meet with and is like, hey, Johnny, let me tell you about my relationship with Jesus, man. It's, it's never been better. Like that, that thing that you're talking about, about drawing near to the Lord, man, I'm, I've been doing it consistently. I'm getting stuff out of his word. Man, my relationship and fellowship with the Lord has never been sweeter. Like I'm married and my relationship with my wife has never been sweeter. Oh yeah, we're not perfect, but man, it's never been sweeter. My, if I, you, I have kids and my relationship with my kids like has never been sweeter. At work, man, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing work differently. I'm seeing it as, as an opportunity for me to, to, to show how Jesus is changing me. I'm looking for opportunities to work in how, how Jesus can change them. Like my neighbors, I'm, I'm looking at them differently and seeing, seeing that as an opportunity for me to reflect and love and, and show the love of Jesus to them and hopefully be able to share them how Jesus can change their lives on and on and on. And, say, and I mean, be like, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. What church are you connected to? I don't go to church. Really? No. When's the last time you've been in church? I don't know. Never happened. 
Never happened. Because I can't have Jesus as, in a, as a priority in my life if I do not also have his church as a priority in my life. And I don't know about you, but I need this in my life to help me be reminded where I need to pin my hope. And I'm not saying that because I'm on this stage and I get paid by this church. I'm saying that because just like you, I have a walk with Jesus and it needs to constantly be reminded where I need to pin my faith. Turn over to Hebrews 12, one and two. A lot of passages in Hebrews this morning. But verses one and two, remember, driving home this reality, Jesus is better than whatever else you're looking to. Hebrews 12, one starts off, therefore, once again, and we're gonna read here in a second why it says therefore, but it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, before Hebrews 11, or Hebrews 12, you have Hebrews 11, right? That's a Captain Obvious, Hebrews 11. Well, Hebrews 11 is talking about people who have lived their life with faith in the Lord, and he gives examples. And so in chapter 12, though, we don't know if this is just an illustration or if this is a reality, but he describes this great crowd of witnesses that is looking on and watching us run our race. So it's the idea of literally a crowd of spectators at an athletic event watching you perform. Now, my kids are both teenagers. They've both been involved in athletics. Right now, my daughter, if you follow me at all on any of the social media platforms, uh, you, know, like, you know I'm always posting about my kids and their athletic events. So Lily had a game last night, and we're watching this game, and I'm in the crowd, and unfortunately, what I realized after I watched back the video of what I was filming is I have become one of those parents. <laughs> you know what I'm ta talking about if your kids have been in sports. Like, I was like, holy cow, it's telling Lori. I, don't know how, I had no idea how loud I was, how obnoxious I was. Like, I've become one of those parents. <laughs> and so I'm watching this game last night, and, and the game went into double overtime, all right, so just bear with me if you don't like sports. This is one of the perks, one of the few perks I get being up here is I get to tell you things that hopefully you're interested in. If you're not, you just got to fake it. Um, so I'm up, I'm up, and, I'm, and the game is in double overtime. And, and the way that it works in, in the AAU tournaments is if it's double overtime, it's sudden death, like whoever scores first. And so it doesn't matter if you get hacked till, you, I mean, just mauled. You get to take the ball out of bounds. You don't get to shoot a free throw. And so that was going on. So it's the last play of the game and we have the ball and so I won't describe all the things that were done to bore you but basically what happens is is, is and please don't applaud for this because that's not what I'm looking for but Lily Lily ended up getting the ball the middle was open she shot the ball it went into the hoop they win the game but you know who was the loudest person on the video me that's right me. So much so that Lily had, I found out that Lily's teammates are like, hey, who was that loud guy behind us the whole game? She was like, it's my dad. <laughs> Why am I taking time to give that, give that story? Because as I'm watching, 
Which, by the way, everyone told me this while I was playing, so much harder to watch your kid than to play in the game. Amen to that, times 10. And I'm watching this game come, and I'm like, I'm pacing like a hungry lion in a cage. I don't sit with Lori in the games either, by the way. I get by myself, away from everybody, so that I don't criticize someone else's kid, and I can just say things under my breath. (laughs) And so I'm watching this entire game, but in my mind, I'm so into the game, and I want the team to do well, and I want my daughter to do well, but you know what else? I know what that's like to be in a game. I know what that's like to have that pressure. I know what it's like to look and to see that you got a mismatch and you need to take advantage of it. I know all of the things that are going through and so I'm pacing back and forth and I want the team to do well and I am a witness to what is going on and I'm cheering the loudest and I'm cheering that team on and I'm probably cheering too much and saying too much. Why? because I want my family to do well. I want them to maximize their ability. That's the idea here. That the writer of Hebrews is saying there is this crowd of people who are followers of Jesus that are part of the family of God who have gone before you And they have shown you what it looks like to not live perfectly but to live faithfully on where your hope needs to be pinned down. And I don't know if they're literally watching in heaven or what the case is. The Bible doesn't tell us, but the illustration is there. So now you look at Hebrews eleven thirty six 36 through 40. I want to read this. This is important. Here's why the therefore is there. He says, others suffered mocking and flogging. So he lists a bunch of people specifically, but now he gets to the unsung heroes. He says, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment, and they were stoned, and they were sawn in two, and they were killed with the sword, and they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us for you, for me, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What is he saying? Man, there's so many people that have gone before us that we stand on the shoulders of that allow us to do what we are doing today. Men, women, young people who paid the ultimate price, their life, because they had their hope pinned to where it needed to be pinned down. And they didn't even get to see Jesus live and die and be risen for their sins. They didn't even get to experience the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and inside of me if I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But we don't get to where we are today. We don't get to sing what we sing today. We don't get to gather the way we gather today without men and women and young people who paid the ultimate price. Then he says now, Go back to Hebrews 12, 1. Let us lay aside every weight. Like there may be things in our life right now that are keeping the church from being a priority in our life and they're not necessarily sinful. But God's saying, no, no, you need to lay that aside because it's weighing you down. 
Maybe it's sin. It says, in sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And how do I run my race? I look to Jesus, who is the author of my race, the finisher of my race, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. I can't look to Jesus. I can't remind myself of the faithfulness of God in what it was, what it is, and what it will be and pin my hope to that if I am also not making a priority of the gathering which is also designed to cause me to point to Jesus. Listen to me. Every song we sing, like it's not Gray and I get in a room and we like, oh, what do you want to sing today? What do you want to sing this Sunday? No, no, no. Everything that we intentionally try to do in this place, everything that your kids, if you have kids, are experiencing right now in Salem Kids Ministry is to point people to look to Jesus. I remember back in March when we had to close everything down like every other place. And I was embracing the reality that I had to do something that I've never done before, which is speak 15 weeks to a camera in a room with no people. You never had to do it either. And I remember just the, the challenge that that was, not so much in speaking to the camera, though that wasn't fun, but it was knowing on Sunday morning that I was watching in my house just like you were. The only difference is I was watching me. And knowing how I is and saying, how am I going to watch this and not critique myself for the whole 30-some minutes that I'm talking? Like, ah, oh, I should have said that better. I should have said that better. Why do I keep on using that wobbly table? <laughs> yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. And being like, Oh, what a painful process. And then thinking to myself, you know what? Here's here's a reality. The senior pastor of Salem Chapel, like, is there with his wife and two kids. Why couldn't I just do the thing live and avoid watching it? Like, that's something I I could do that you didn't do. I'm just being transparent here. That That was something that I struggled with. Like, I really don't want to watch myself on TV. But I just want to let you in in my thinking. Here's something. Laura and I talked about this, and here's why we didn't do that. We watched along with you. Because I said to myself, you know, though there would have been nothing necessarily wrong with me just saying, hey, let's go to Psalm 27 as a family. But I said to myself, you know, I want my kids, this is an opportunity For me to take my young kids who are forming their convictions and to show them the reason why dad's just not opening up the Bible, the reason why we want to watch together is because that's our church family. Knowing there's other people all across Winston-Salem that are watching that saying, no, no, that's your worship pastor, Lily and Lucas. That's your church. 
There's an importance to being connected to something that's bigger than our family. Dad needs to be connected to this church as well. And yeah, we can do family worship, and yeah, we try to be intentional with those things, but you know what? There's something about being connected to a local church, and so we did that for that reason. And hear me when I say this, and I say this out of love. Parents, if you have kids, you have no idea how much they have absorbed and how they react during times of uncertainty. And some of you realized it, and you took advantage of it, and some of you missed an opportunity Because you showed them that church is a habit, not a conviction. Now, praise God that there's many times in my life where I've missed so many opportunities. But aren't you so thankful for the grace of God that that can change? It can change today. Let me give you the third thing. It's found in verses 24 and 25. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. I'll be honest with you, sometimes when I'm reading God's word, I'm like, Lord, I'm thankful that that even these people went through some of the same things that I struggle with, you struggle with, knowing that it's easy to allow things to slide off the table, so to speak. But it says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the third thing that the conviction to gather together as a church is grounded in. It's grounded in an urgent awareness that the gathering is a necessity to your walk with Jesus. There is an urgent awareness that not that this is a nicety, But this is a necessity. And don't hear me saying something that I'm not saying, and I want to be clear on this, because I don't want anyone walking out of here not being clear. Listen, I think it's awesome that you can go on vacation this summer. Enjoy it. We are. And it's not that we're doing this online, and online's bad. I think it's so awesome we provide an opportunity now that you can be on vacation and still be connected to Salem Chapel. You're sick. You can still be connected to Salem Chapel. You're looking for a church. You can see what we do here. Awesome. But listen to me, online church is not a normative replacement of the gathering. Technology will change, the Bible does not. That's why it's a conviction. It says consider, right? It means to take attentive care. And then it actually says to take consider on how to stir up. That word stir up literally means to motivate. Like there's an aspect that when we gather together, it needs to be an uplifting, it needs to be somewhat of a pep rally, though we ain't never having cheerleaders up on here. Not if you're a cheerleader, awesome. But remember, to point people to Jesus, but my point in all of that is, is what the gathering is to provide is to motivate us to be reminded to be convicted, to be challenged, to maybe even be rebuked on where we are falling short in looking to Jesus. And there's so many things, maybe you're like me, maybe you're not. 
But there's so many things in my life that want to cause me to want to consider that thing. Like, hey, look at this. Look at this. Oh, you need this. You know, you're scrolling through, like, like your Facebook or your Instagram or whatever it is, and all of a sudden there's these ads, and they're like, how did they come up with this ad? They're like, are they listening? Yes. Um, all these, you know, whatever it is, and you're like, holy cow, and all of a sudden, you know, now I'm clicking on that thing, and if I click on it, God forbid, there's five other things that are telling me what I need. There's so many things grabbing for our attention, right? There's also so many things that want to stir us up. I've said more times than not in this last year and a half to Lori, why am I getting so stirred up over this? Like, I'm a person you can easily stir me up. Like, I'm, I'm giving you some kryptonite. Like, I can easily get stirred up about so many things that are insignificant. But here what is it saying is, listen, part of why we gather together is to stir one another up but to what? To negativity? To division? No, no, no. What does it say? To love and to good works. Love meaning our love for the Lord and our love for one another, two of the greatest commandments. To do good works, that when I walk out of here, listen to me, there's a reason why when we remodeled this auditorium, we put on the back upper part, make and mobilize disciples in Winston-Salem and around the world, because subtly we want you, when you walk out of here and you look up, to be reminded that the church isn't just about what you receive, but the church is also called to be a part of engaging and saying, that is my mission. That is not this organization's mission, this entity's mission. No, no, no. It's this entity's mission, and it's this church's mission because it's your mission. That's what we get stirred up to. And so when we gather in here, it's like, oh, God, this is exactly what I needed. It's not a replacement of my time with you alone, but, oh, it ought to enhance my desire to do so. See, how does the Lord desire you to view the church gathering? You view it this way. As an urgent necessity in your life rather than a convenient habit to be broken. It takes 21 days to start a new habit. Many of us have been separated and we have various reasons and uh, why we've had to do so in separating ourselves from the gathering, and that is not what this message is about. But if it was a habit, it's gonna take work to re-engage. And my goal today from God's word is for you to see that's not what God wants for you. He wants it to be a conviction. And let me just say this as a side note. We've been meeting since last June you know, and slowly reopening things, and maybe this is your first Sunday back. And can I just say this to make sure that you hear this? Because I know how the enemy works, because he works on me. Is it's easy to walk into this place and somehow feel this low grade of shame. Like, oh, what are people gonna think of me because this is the first week I've been back, or are people gonna be like, hey, it's good to finally see you back, but in their mind they're thinking, you should have been back weeks ago. Can I just tell you right now, that's not what I'm thinking. That's not what our elders are thinking. That's not what our pastors are thinking. Now, I can't comment on what anybody else is thinking, but if they're thinking that, they're wrong. 
And I just want to say that as a side note and make sure you hear me on that because I know how the enemy likes to work. But what God's word is saying to us today is, no, 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 this is an urgent necessity. There's a chart on behind me because we live life one of two ways. We live it, first of all, this way, and we're at the center. And can I just say, when you're not intentional about how you live your life, this is how you live your life. When I'm not intentional about how I live my life, this is how I live my life. Me at the center, man, I have to work at it. It is default. Johnny Pereira, boom, at the center. And when I'm living at the center, here's what happens. I view my relationship with Jesus with me at the center. I view the importance of me gathering together as the church with me at the center. I view my relationship with others with me at the center. I view my relationship with Lori with me at the center. I view my relationship with my kids with me at the center. I view my work with me at the center. I view my hobbies with me at the center. I view my dreams and my goals and my ambitions with me at the center. View my family with me at the center. That's our default. And that's so dangerous. Because Jeremiah 17 says, my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. I don't know the depths of it. And listen to me, I can't trust me. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to please him. I want to live for him. But I still battle a sinful nature that is driven by me. And if I allow my whole ethos and how I view life to be driven by me, listen to me, at best, this gathering will be viewed as a habit for you. There's another way of living, and it's a way we all know we need to live. It's with Jesus at the center. It's saying my relationship with the Lord is not another one of the spokes on the wheel. It's the thing that all the other spokes are connected to. Jesus is at the center of my life. Which means his word, which is his will, is at the center of my life. Therefore, his will, which is his word, dictates how I view church. Therefore, his will, which is his word, dictates how I view my family, how I live in my family, how my relationship with others are to be lived out, how I work, what I do at work, how I look at the opportunities that my hobbies provide how it shapes my dreams and my goals, his will, which is his word. Do you see the difference there? Jesus is not a spoke on your wheel. He ought to be the center by which all the other spokes are connected to. See, one of the things when I moved to North Carolina, I've lived here, you know, back in January, it was four years, and Here's something I never saw in Florida. Not to say that it wasn't there, but I never saw this in Florida. I never saw churches with graveyards in their backyard. It's quite remarkable to me. I was like, well, that's interesting. There's a graveyard on the church property. In fact, there's a church that I pass by on my way home every day that has a graveyard. Man, it's got nice fencing, a nice you know, lattice work, all that. Looks really beautiful. I'm just like, I think that was so interesting. And then I actually studied it a little bit and found out that was not out of the norm. Like that started in the, in the medieval times, the Middle Ages. But I thought it was so interesting because 
as I began to study it, I saw that, you know, people got buried on the church property because that's how they viewed church. It was center to their social and spiritual life. It was like, no, 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 great granddaddy helped start that church. He helped build that church. Like that church was everything to him. Why wouldn't he be buried on the property? I'm not saying, hear me on this, I'm not saying Salem Chapel's gonna start that. Because by the way, we don't have any green space for it anyway. But I've been thinking about that lately, especially in this series as I'm driving by and thinking to myself, God, may I be reminded to view your church, the fact that I get to be a part of your church globally, because I'm a follower of Jesus, but the, the fact that I get to be connected to a local church, it's not perfect. We can hurt people, not intentionally, but to be connected to a community that's got people that are struggling and trying to run their race just like I'm trying to run mine, and I have people around me that can encourage me and love me and pick me up, that that's not to be just a spoke on the wheel. That's to be part of my ethos and the way that I live my life. See, the church is a necessity for our walk with Jesus. Why? Because we need it to be stirred up, to be reminded, to be encouraged. Why does it say that in the end of verse 24, what does it say? And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Newsflash, folks, you don't need to probably be reminded of this. It's gonna get worse before it gets better when Jesus comes back. Sin is real. Satan is real. Suffering is real. That's why we need this. And every so often... In this place, we celebrate communion to remind ourselves that at the end of the day, what this church is designed to do is to look to Jesus. To know that you're shoulder to shoulder, that the people in the row next to you is partaking of the same juice and the same bread remembering the same Savior that you love, that died for you, died for them. That our commonality is found in our belief in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we're gonna take part in communion, just another reason why church is important. Could you do this in your living room? Sure you could. With your own family? Sure you could. But there's something special about doing it with the people of God. If you need one of these and you didn't grab one, just raise your hand. Our ushers would love to give you one. If you've never been here before, there's a part that you can peel at the top to get to the bread, and then there's a second compartment to get to the juice. Just be careful when you do that. I don't want it going all over you. Almost happened to me at the first service. That's why I'm saying that. But I don't want you to take this yet. We're gonna sing a song. And what I want you to do during that song is just to examine your life. Examine how you view church. Examine how you're viewing Jesus. And confess where sin needs to be confessed. 
Encourage yourself where God has encouraged you so that when we take of this, we're taking of it with the right mindset. Let's do that this morning.